Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to One Up, delivered through the AI podcast channel. I'm your host as ever, Guy Drinkle, and today is the day, folks, we are going to be covering Red Dead Redemption. So, joining me as usual is Carl for this beautiful game that we're going to discuss throughout the show, but how are you doing, Carl? Yeah, not too bad, Guy. How about yourself? I'm good, I'm good. Um, I've, I've finished it last night well i finished the main story last night i've still got the epilogue to do but um I, we're gonna we're gonna spoil it together here aren't we so uh i've i've watched the ending to just for this podcast and as you said it, the, the epilogue isn't great apart from the last few minute moments which you uh which i've watched now on youtube but um yeah folks this will be a very 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 spoiler heavy um review so do do turn off um if you don't want it spoiled, but we will be doing the news first, so if you want to stick around for that, feel free, but uh, the podcast will probably end up being like an hour and a half-ish, like it normally is. But, um, Carl, as ever, we do start with the news, and uh, we, as we as we do with our review shows, we try to keep it light, but there's not much not much big news going on, is there? Um. Well... It depends on what, what you call news. I mean, I, I think the we, we have three stories um, today, kind of varying kind of importance. But I think this first story is um, big news. And, and, you know, especially in terms of what you can speculate as to what it means. Um, so I, I guess we'll jump straight into it. So first up on the news round today, um, Sony is skipping E3 2019. Shock horror. Uh, source, uh, this comes from Jason Schreier over at Kotaku and Jason writes, Sony is skipping next year's E3, ditching its traditional booth and press conference in a move that will have a significant negative impact on the video game industry's annual trade show. The Entertainment Software Association, the lobbyist group that runs E3, confirmed the news today, as did Sony. Quote, as the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community, end quote, said Sony in a statement. 
quote, PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, think differently, and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate participate in E3 in 2019. We are exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait to share our plans with you, end quote. This is yet another blow to the annual Los Angeles trade show, which has seen several publishers drop out over the past few years. Electronic Arts now holds its own event in Hollywood in the days leading up to E3, while last year Microsoft rented out a theater at LA Live, a few minutes away from the convention center where E3 takes place. Nintendo has spent the past five years issuing traditional press conferences in favor of pre-recorded videos, and with Sony gone, one of E3's other marquee press conferences will now also not be present in 2019. Sony also typically occupies a massive chunk of one of the convention center's two main halls, so the company's absence will leave a significant hole for the ESA to fill. The move makes sense for Sony, as the company's 2019 presser would presumably revolve around three of the four games it showcased last year, Death Stranding, The Last of Us 2, and Ghost of Tsushima, none of which currently have release dates. All three are expected to come out in the latter half of 2019 or later. Sony also skipped this year's PlayStation Experience, a conference that it had held every December from 2014 through 2017. It's also yet another hint at the timing of Sony's next PlayStation. Based on conversations with developers across the industry, I expect the PlayStation 5 to be released in 2020, and the publisher skipping E3 2019 certainly points to that. And you can read the full story from Jason over on Kotaku. So, yeah, no Sony at at E3 2019. Um, You know, what are your reactions, Guy? What do you think this means for, for Sony? Um, I think it just means they're gearing up for the next gen, really. Um, obviously they they named um all the all the games they showed at the previous E three, and if they've not got much to show, um, new. I mean, I, I think that's a, a criticism that's labelled everything at E three, that there's so much that does double shows. Um, I think so. I know Sony, a king of E three. Um, but they're they're guilty of it. Obviously, I think Spider Man's done a couple, hasn't it? Or did a couple. Um, Death Stranding's done a couple. Uh, I think Last of Us would have done a couple if it did next year. Um, so yeah, I think if they've not got anything new to show, um, I, I I I think it's fair play to put it off for a year and then come back when there's bigger stuff to stuff to do. Because if they, if they're just gonna um, just show the same stuff again. It's just going to open themselves up for criticism. Yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd agree with you there. I mean, I just, I seen a quote and another kind of story on the same matter that kind of from, it was from um, Sony in, in regards to the lack of, it was from Sean Layton in, in regards to the lack of uh, PSX 2018. And he, he said basically that uh, they've got, um, Days Gone and Dreams coming in 2019, um, but that it, it's just not enough to kind of fill a show. And, you know, it got me wondering, is that all PlayStation 4 is going to have in terms of uh, exclusives next year? Just those two games. I mean, 
although it doesn't really go against what I would have predicted myself because I've said all along, uh, you know, well, not all along, but in more recent months, I've certainly thought that Last of Us 2 will probably be 2020. Um, and I, I thought Ghost of Tsushima and, um, of course, that trending, uh, you know, that game's probably never coming out. I definitely <laughs> got to, 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 to come out after The Last of Us 2. So it kind of it makes sense to me. And I think even though, of course, you could show, well, people will probably get sick of seeing Death Stranding, I suppose you could show some more of The Last of Us and, and Ghost of Tsushima. But at the same time, I wonder if 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 PlayStation 5 is coming in 2020, if what they would have to show would be, you know, either a PS5 version of the games or maybe if if they're not going to, I think they will come out on both consoles, but if not, maybe it could just be that they're enhanced for PS5, similarly to how some Xbox games are enhanced for Xbox One. But nonetheless, they're not going to be ready to show that yet because they're not quite going to be ready at E3 to unveil the new console. So it, it wouldn't surprise me, really, based on on all this. That it, my prediction would be that PSX comes back in 2019 in December and that at that PSX, they unveil the PS5 and kind of some of the games we're going to see in, in year one of the PS5. Um, what, what do you think, Guy? Are we going to see the PS5 in, in you know, next year? or? Hmm. It's, a to- it's a tough one. I think, I think we've speculated in the past that PlayStation, 1, uh, not PlayStation, 1, PlayStation 5 can be later than the Xbox 2 because PS4 has just took the piss this gen hasn't it so if it may maybe they're panicking on the fact that xbox is obviously all these rumors that xbox is gonna be 2020 and it's gonna be earlier than the playstation maybe they've brought for not rush development or something like that but maybe they brought forward the plan and um maybe looking for the for the 2020 um Christmas release or winter release for for the PS5 because I I think we I think we've both said maybe rounding off the de- rounding off the decade is is the way to look at it and then fresh start with the the new decade ahead and um, yeah I think may I think it's I think 2019 is the year that we're going to see news about the Xbox Two and Xbox uh, and the PS5 I think that's the best way of looking at it whether. I imagine Xbox would be at E3, but if Sony aren't going to be at E3, Xbox can be the clear cut win, clear cut winners, and just piss all over the rest pretty much, and just go, "Here's Xbox Two, here's a new Fable, here's what Ninja Theory's up to, here's what uh, Playground does Fable, here's what <coughs> Undead's up to." Um, even just not, I doubt, I doubt um, Oblivion and uh, what's even one in X File. In Exile, uh, who they've just signed, obviously we're going to in talk Exile. about. Yeah, in Exile, yeah, that's all. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about that in a sec, but they won't have uh, anything ready by then. But if, if you talk about what's getting planned for the Xbox Two, um, it, it it'll just be the clear win for the for Xbox at an E3, and um, yeah, uh, it's that that's probably a big step for Xbox. I doubt they've won an E3 in a goddamn while. <laughs> I know. Well, I think we get, I think we actually said Microsoft had a better conference, didn't we, last time? Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought, I thought last <clears throat> this year's Microsoft conference was, was great. Yeah, and to be honest, hopefully they continue that trend because it it does uh, look up from there. But yeah, I think I think twenty nineteen and twenty twenty will be the actual release for both of them. I, I'm right there with you. I, I think I think um, I think E3, especially if not. 
if it wasn't already nailed on, I think it definitely will be now that, that Microsoft will look to get uh, Scarlet, as, as it's been called, and announced at E3, especially now that the, the path is clear for them and they, they can steal all the thunder and, you know, they'll they'll know that probably Sony aren't going to really play their cards until the winter. Um, and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you could you could probably start a show, talk about Gears of War, kind of the last hurrah mm. for, for Xbox One, and then be like, well, this is what we have coming. And, and as you said, Fable, the big, the big reveal that we kind of all knew was coming. Um, you know, possibly um, Ninja Theory could have a project lined up for the, the, the launch. I mean, Ninja Theory are always talking about how they have multiple projects on the go. And although Hellblade didn't come out that long ago, Hellblade's a very small game. It's 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 not like a triple A title. So um I, I think there's a strong possibility of that, you know, obviously more on Infinity, Halo Infinite. Yeah, yeah. So like I, I think I think that's that's nailed on that that's what we're gonna see. And um I, I think it makes a lot of sense. But I, I don't think Sony have to fear per se that, that Xbox are gonna gonna get theirs announced first because you know, as as you said, Sony have walked away with this generation, so I think they can I'm gonna bide their time and, and kinda have the winter to themselves for, for the announcement, you know. Um it's just interesting. It, it just seems that when you, you kinda look across the board it, it seems the two first parties are kinda slowing up a bit on this gen and that we're go- although Sony will probably have its its kind of last hurrah with um Ghost of Tsushima and and uh, Last of Us 2, they're, they're probably going to be cross-platform, so it feels almost like we're going to be having to look to third-party titles for kind of our uh, the twilight of the generation, mm. per se. Not, I mean, although there, there are some big ones to come, like like um, Anthem and uh, Cyberpunk and, and the like, so um, but, but it will be, be interesting. 2019 could definitely be an exciting year in, in terms of announcements. I mean, we'll probably have a new version of the Switch announced early in the year as well, so um, a lot to, to look forward to there, but I think you know it will be disappointing when it comes to E3 and there's no Sony, and I think we could have very few press conferences this year because I think after the backlash Square got, I'd be surprised if Square do one this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bethesda the last couple of years have been getting a lot of kind of oh I don't think you needed to do a press conference, you know, wait till you have stuff to announce. So. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it's just Microsoft, Nintendo, EA, and um, Ubi. Ubisoft. Yeah, I wouldn't. Ubisoft wouldn't surprise me to be just dance for half an hour. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh dear. So I, I just uh, and even I, yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting E3, but I'm sure we'll speculate more on that as as things get announced. But um, yeah, so 2019 definitely one to to watch out for, but. Sticking with this year's games and what a year it's been, uh, number two in the news roundup, Game Awards 2018 nominees led by God of War, Red Dead Redemption 2. And this comes from Michael McWerther over on Polygon. And Michael writes, Organizers of the Game Awards, Jeff Keighley's annual video game award show, now in its fifth year, announced the nominees for this year's show on Tuesday. The list of nominees is led by Sony Santa Monica's God of War and Rockstar Games' Red Dead Redemption 2, both of which garnered eight nominations across 23 gaming categories. Both titles were nominated for Game of the Year along with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Celeste, 
Marvel, Spider-Man and Monster Hunter World. Fans can vote for winners through a variety of online platforms, including Twitter, Facebook Messenger, Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant and Discord. The Game Awards 2018 will air on December 6th at 9pm. Viewers can watch the show on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, Mixer, Steam TV, PlayStation 4 and Xbox Live. Polygon will also host a broadcast of the show. And I have some of the um, categories listed there. I left out a lot of the ones that referred to teams and esports. It's crazy the amount of of categories. but you can get the full list over on, on Polygon from, from as listed by Michael. But um, we'll go through some of the, the, the bigger ones here. So, yeah, Game of the Year, Assassin's Creed, Odyssey, Celeste, God of War, Marvel Spider-Man, Monster Hunter World, and Red Dead Redemption 2. I mean, what do you think of that lineup, guys? It's, it's kind of a who's who of, of games. I mean, any of them could have been worthy winner in another year. Mm. I think it's probably the first time... In, in well, last year I think the only one I had played was like, or played properly was Assassin's Creed Unity. I think Horizon Zero Dawn and Mario Odyssey were the were the top two. Uh, and I I had played Horizon, but I hadn't finished it. And Mario, I I didn't have any crack with it all. But the, you, this you year, left I, out, you left out the actual winner there. Of, did <laughs> of I? Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh Zelda! I thought that was the year previous. <laughs> oh my bad. No, same year. Nice. But, yeah, up no. <laughs> but this year, this year, I've played all of them apart from Celeste, um, which uh, I, I didn't really. Like. I've heard, I've heard of, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about. If I'm honest, um, but yeah, I've played, I've played all of them. <clears throat> um, I've completed two of them: Red Dead Redemption and God of War, uh, and Spider Man actually, uh, three of them. <clears throat> and I will be going back to finish uh, Odyssey after this. So yeah, it, it's such a strong lineup and. Um, even Monster Hunter World is probably the um, probably gonna lose. It's probably gonna be least unpopular because I mean, it, it it is what it is. But it, it's such a brilliant game. It's such a good. It, it it's so fun. So that's probably the strongest lineup I've seen in a while. But yeah, I, as the article said, it, it it's led by God of War and Red Dead Redemption Two because. I imagine Red Dead Redemption 2 will win because it attracts everybody, whereas God of War is just PlayStation, isn't it? So I think that's what will tip in, tip in the scale, but I imagine we'll come on to this when we actually talk about Red Dead Redemption in a bit. Yeah. I, I think it's just I, got a bit more. I, 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 I disagree, actually. I think, my, like, again, I'm not discussing my opinion on, on Game of the Year yet because we obviously we'll save that for our own show, but... I mean, I think God of War will get this one. I think, though, you often see with these reward shows, there's kind of a, like, let's give them a nod here, let's give them a nod there, and, and we'll come to that as we look at a few of the other categories in a minute, but, like, I think God of War will, will win out overall. Um, I just have that feeling, but uh, I think, like, it, it's been an interesting year. Like, as early in the year, as Monster Hunter came first, and people were like, oh, this is, this is a Game of the Year contender. And everyone was just talking about that. And then kind of a few months in, you had God of War and Celeste around the same time. And Mm. kind of people were split. Some people said Celeste was their game of the year. Other people said God of War. And it was kind of the talk was all of them up until we got to the fall. And suddenly then in the space of months, you have Spider-Man, Assassin's Creed 
and Red Dead and the three of them, all three of them, people are like, oh, maybe they're in and about. Like, so it's just crazy. As, as you said, I'd be similar to self last year. I didn't really play any of the contenders. I just, there was a few I wanted to. I wanted to play Horizon. I wanted to play Zelda. I, you know, I just, I just didn't get around to them. But, um, I mean, I have, I'm the same as well. I've played all five of them except Celeste. And I do want to put some time into Celeste before uh, we do our own game of the year show because I, I am intrigued by it. But, I do. I just think God of War gets it, and I think the others will get their nod in in, in other um, categories. But uh, moving on to some of the other characters, best ongoing game: Destiny Two, Fortnite, No Man's Sky, Overwatch. Um, be very surprised if Fortnite doesn't win that one. Um, I'd be surprised if any of them get a mention. To be honest. Oh. We missed one. Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege as well. It's crazy to think that's still hanging in there. Um, oh, uh, true, true. Um, best game direction: A Way Out, Detroit, Become Human, God of War, Marvel Spider-Man, Red Dead that, Redemption Two. I, th- I think that I, one's got to be God of War. <clears throat> yeah, you see that? That's that's that's. Um, you could certainly give that to one, and and then one to the other. Um, because uh, I think for me the three biggest awards, obviously Game of the Year is the biggest, but the next two probably are Best Game Direction and Best Narrative, which is the next category: Detroit, God of War, Life is Strange 2, Marvel Spider-Man, Red Dead Redemption 2. I think Red Dead Redemption 2 probably gets Best Narrative. So yeah. I think if you're giving it Best Story, yeah. then that's a big nod. So you know, given God of War Game of the Year, you're still giving Red Dead quite a nod. You know, um, so if, that's, that's if God of War wins. Game of the Year, Red Dead could have all the other subcategories. <laughs> so that's, yeah. That's fair. Uh, um, best Art Direction, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, God of War, Octopath Traveler, Red Dead Redemption 2, or Return of Oberdin. Um, now, Return of Oberdin, that's kind of a uh, kind of a notable indie title that came out this year. I have a feeling Octopath Traveler might, might get that, that best art direction. That, that game was... I mean, that's a game I'm surprised that maybe on another year it would have been up for Game of the Year itself because it, it made a big splash when it came out towards the end of the summer. Mm. So I think they'll want to give that its, its nod. Uh, best Music, Celeste, God of War, Marvel Spider-Man, Nino Kuni 2, Revenant Kingdom, Octopath Traveler, and Red Dead Redemption 2. I think Celeste gets that. I mean, Celeste is largely based around music so i think like music's a big part of it i'd be very mm-hmm. surprised if celeste and that's a chance to give that it's it's nod um best audio design cod black ops 4 forza horizon 4 god of war spider-man and red dead redemption 2 again it's it's, it's tough to choose this was actually, <laughs> exactly but this was probably my um most difficult um, category to vote on uh, best performance uh, Brian Deckard as Connor in Detroit Become Human now I didn't play that but I heard good things mm-hmm. Christopher George as Kratos in God of War Melisanti Mahout as Cassandra in Assassin's Creed Odyssey Roger Clark as Arthur Morgan Red Dead Redemption 2 and Yuri Lowenthal as Peter Parker Marvel Spider-Man now like as I said I haven't played Detroit can't comment on, on Brian Deckard's performance but christopher judge made kratos a character you like a character that used to get panned every game for how macho angry warrior guy he was you know and christopher judge kind of brought him across he stepped into the role for this game for the first time he brought him him across as like a father as a 
you know, and the dry humor, like just the, just his reactions to things and make you, make you laugh. Like it, to me, that's who I ended up voting for in the end spoilers. But, um, but, but despite me voting for him, you know, Roger Clark as Arthur Morgan, which we will obviously get to in the review, Yuri Lowenthal as Peter Parker, brilliant as Spider-Man. And I'm playing God or I'm playing Assassin's Creed right now. And I'm playing as Cassandra and Lasanti Mahout is brilliant. I mean, what do you think of the? Like, do you have a, a favorite out of those performances? I think it'd have to be Roger Clark. Um, I fully agree with what you said about Christopher Judge's Kratos. Um, I, he's just perfect. But I think the range that you get from Arthur Morgan, obviously, um, we we will discuss all the stuff. But it, it's just the way the character develops. Um, it, it, for for Arthur Morgan, it, it just it's such a wide range of emotions and situations that he's in. Whereas with Kratos, it's literally like I know you get the odd down moment and stuff like that, but it's it's pretty much you are you're a bit of an angry bastard about ninety percent of the time. Whereas with Arthur Morgan. It it, it 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 flicks on and off every emotion, and I think that that's what would tip it for me. And um, yeah, with regards to the other one, Kratos, brilliant. Uh, same as you, I haven't played Detroit yet. Um, <clears throat> it, the weird thing with me, I I played as Alexios on Odyssey, so it, it's hard for me to comment on Cassandra. So it, it might be one for me to uh, write that wrong. <laughs> uh, he might be he might be for an, an up for another kind of. Uh, oh, per- award for his performance, but possibly worst performance based on what I've heard. Oh God, I think that'd be a bit harsh, but still, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just. It, I I think I made that complaint when we talked about what we were playing in one of the previous pods that the uh, the character uh, wasn't that great, but uh, yeah, I think I think that's a very strong list again. But um, how about we save the rest of these? for the one-up awards which will probably be january or december well well that that's that's it i mean i'm sure anyway once you know when we get to december and the the, um game awards are are out there we'll obviously be discussing the winners there and then so we'll we'll have reactions to that maybe if we disagree we agree so um we'll we'll obviously get to to that then um but you can get as i said you can get the full list um over on uh, the story on polygon mm-hmm. uh, now and our last story of today microsoft could release a discless xbox one and this comes from roman dillett over at TechCrunch. according to a new report from thorot Microsoft has been working on a new console in the Xbox One family. This cheaper model could play regular Xbox One games, but there would be no Blu-ray drive. This move would lower the price of the entry-level Xbox One, and Xbox One S officially starts at $299, but you could can currently find it for around $250 on Amazon. The discless Xbox One could start at $199. If you have already have an Xbox One and physical games, you can imagine going to an official retailer to trade your disc for a digital download code. Let's hope that this new Xbox comes with a big hard drive for those who have a slow internet connection. Back when Microsoft first unveiled the Xbox One in 2013, the company wanted to make a big push towards digital games. The original plan was that you would associate your physical games with your Xbox account. After that, you could play the game even without inserting the disc. Microsoft also planned a way to lend a digital game to a friend for 30 days. After some backlash, Microsoft gave up on this plan and switched back to a more traditional system. But it's been five years 
Digital games are more popular than ever, and internet connections are faster than ever. Microsoft also thinks the future of games is based on subscriptions. With the Xbox Game Pass, you can access dozens of games for $10 per month. You can also subscribe to EA Access on the Xbox One. Eventually, you could imagine replacing the Xbox altogether with a subscription for a streaming service, but we're not there yet. According to Thorot, Microsoft is also working on an updated Xbox One S that could be a bit cheaper. This one would have a traditional disk drive. And you can get the full story over on TechCrunch. Um, so, yeah, a, a diskless Xbox One, um, trading in your physical games for digital download codes. So that confuses me a little bit because, to me, this seems this is an entry-level cheap Xbox to get people who are kind of on the fence of joining the Xbox family. And I think it's a good idea in that sense. Mm. And I think it's also a good, because obviously we discussed before, there's rumors that Scarlet is going to come in two SKUs, one being just a streaming box where you stream the the Xbox Scarlet games or whatever to it, and another one being a souped-up console with a disk drive and the like. So this, this digital-only box seems like a, a digital-only Xbox One seems like a, kind of a baby step towards that streaming box, kind of putting the feelers out to see how people are to move away from the traditional physical games. And it makes sense in that way, but I find the, the disc swap uh, system to be a, a bit silly. I mean, because like, why would someone who already has an Xbox with a, a disc drive get rid of their Xbox yeah. with the disc drive and go to all this hassle? It, it just seems strange to me, but... I think it's a it's a good idea in general, like the 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 um, digital only box, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the PS5 offer some. Even if they don't go with the streaming route quite yet, they they may well watch offer a cheaper digital only um, skew of of the the PS5 possibly. Um, so I, I think that is unfortunately to me who's not a fan of these kind of things and likes physical games but it is unfortunately the the future we face what do you what do you think as the the xbox guy got what do you what do you reckon i think it's a really good idea to be fair i think it's just a, a slightly disappointing it's probably three or four years too late i think obviously there was such a backlash with um, the original release when it, it was rumoured it was going to be all online only but I think if you offered both um, if you offered the disc one the disc drive one and the uh, disc driveless one where it was just games online and and if they if if obviously one of Xbox's strongest points is game sharing and I, if you're not an Xbox person it pretty much means I think it's built for families but you can do it with your mates whatever pretty much if you buy an online game from the Xbox Store, or if you get a code, as long as it's a digital download, you can check. You get two licenses with it, and you can share it with your brother, your sister, your dad, your mate, whoever. They, if they advertised that from the start, and said, "Okay, you get," it doesn't have a disc drive, but if you buy online, it may be a smidge more, but you also get two licenses with it. They could just, they could do, they could dominate that. That that was that would have been such a good marketing tool for them, and it may, it may have made Sony react to do and maybe do something similar. But I think it's a, it's such an unknown secret, um, or not. It, I I only learned about it because one of my mates told me about it. Fortunately, but um, yeah, it it, it saves so much money, and I think that if they could really market it as something, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a brilliant idea, and if the if they coupled that with advertising game sharing a bit more 
<clears throat> I think it, it, it could have took off um, a couple of years ago, but now, now I agree with you. It's kind of just a a beta reaction to see what it's like if the, for the Xbox Two, see what they can do with theirs. But as you said, um, uh, there's rumours about Xbox Two getting loads of different versions of it on on release, so that that might be one of them. But ho- hopefully they learn from it and can market a disc driveless box a bit a bit better because if the if game sharing's on xbox 2 they, they should definitely market that a bit more and i think people may be swayed by that if you're getting pretty much if you and your mate can get the game for price of one i think that's brilliant yeah no i certainly get where you're coming from there and i mean it, it's interesting no important before before i said that that this obviously is rumors though these rumors do have some weight to them because it's coming from the same source that initially kind of broke the the scarlet news so um i think we, we can say they they have some credibility but um it's interesting how the story kind of touches on the you know uh, games pass and ea access and you know it'd be very interesting if this discless xbox if maybe they were like bundle it with you know rather than bundling it with a game if they're like to bundle it with like a year of game pass maybe like for 300 dollars you get the console and a 12 months of game pass i mean that that could be a game changer really in in pushing game pass out there and i mean to to get a console with a library of games for 300 dollars i mean it's quite a deal that so it'd be interesting to see but i mean obviously we'll just have to see what uh when when Microsoft kind of announces these things, I mean, could this be another feature of E3, or maybe they might run some sort of event in the spring to, to announce these things, or just to, just do a press release? It'll be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, that that kind of rounds it up for the the news. Um, but kind of it's it's not exactly a story, but just obviously over the weekend, um, last weekend we we had uh, XO18, and there was a, a couple of little tidbits announced and shown off at that did did uh you know we, we had a crackdown three given a release date and and it's multiplayer un- unveiled did did you see anything on that guy if i'm honest no i was, I was too busy being a cowboy <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but i've read a couple of the reactions and it just seemed quite positive um crackdown freak i think people just say it's crackdown on a next level which i think that's what people wanted Pretty, pretty much. I mean, it's destructible environments and mayhem and jumping around buildings and exactly what we want from Crackdown. That's what I enjoyed about the Crackdown doesn't need to be kind of anything serious. You know, that's not what it's about. It just has to be mayhem and fun. And I think what we've seen at XO18 kind of shows that to me. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to getting a chance to play it when it comes out in February. And, um, you know, it, it was good that that Xbox had at least that one one thing to show off because they didn't really show too much else. Uh, if we're if we're being honest, um, I mean they they did announce, of course, as you touched on earlier, those those studio acquisitions. You know, Obsidian Entertainment and In Exile Entertainment, uh, pretty much, aka known as the remnants of Interplay, because both of those studios were formed from kind of the. Uh, the corpses from from Interplay's breakup. So, um, it, l- it looks interesting there that two two of the bigger studios, kind of for Western RPGs, are, are kind of now under the the Microsoft Studios banner. I mean, are, are you looking forward to seeing what they have to come in in the future, guy? 
Yeah, I think it. I, I don't know if the plan is to put them back together um, or whatever, but I think we spoke on the last, or when this was originally a rumour. Um, it's what Xbox needs. It needs, uh, it, well, it, then entered, independent developer. It, need, it needed something that can be trusted to make a big RPG, and that's what, well, not RPG, but you obviously see PlayStation exclusives like God of War, um, Last of Us. And Uncharted, probably the big three. Um, it, it needs that, and putting Obsidian, I'm more, for, I, I'm more knowledge about, uh, knowledgeable about, um, putting putting them under the banner of Microsoft. I think that it's only a good thing, and uh, you you probably know more about In Exile than me. Um, but yeah, I think it's only a positive. The, the more they get, and I, I know there was a couple people questioning what what would these what do these two bring to Microsoft in terms of exclusives. But I think it just it just brings a name, if anything, and I think that's what Xbox needed rather than just getting adding something random uh, like three four three coalition, uh, which are just made to be pretty much made for one game. I think that was a point brought up by Neil in the WhatsApp group. Um, but yeah, I think that the, these have experience in making AAA titles, and I think that's what Xbox needs. So perfect for me. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they they have to show, and um, I'm hoping against hope that uh, Microsoft pick up the Baldur's Gate um, license and and allow uh, either of them will do actually. But well, I suppose in Exile make more sense, but to, to do a Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance three because. I was heartbroken when that game was cancelled. Um, but I suppose we'll just have to wait and see what they, they have in store. And the only other thing really at, at XO18 of note was the 16 games coming to Game Pass with the notable leading the way being, um, of course, PUBG is now free on Xbox One. Mm. Um, the Ori and the Blind Forest and also Ori and the Will of the Wisps will, when it comes out in 2019, will be day and date on Game Pass. Rest were all kind of little indie indie titles, um, but you know, more games are more games. I found it they kept saying free games during the show, and I was like, well, "It's not free. You're paying ten dollars a month." <laughs> But that's kind of strange that way. But you know, it's it, more more games on the subscription are, are good for people who avail of of Game Pass. So the more the merrier, I suppose. But I mean, it was an okay show. Um, I think the the crowd reactions were a little cheesy, and and there was some kind of rumors that they'd been kind of instructed on what to say. <laughs> but um, you know, it was in Mexico. There's obviously going to be a bit of a language barrier. So it, it is what it is, I suppose. Um. But yeah, uh, we got a Crackdown release date. That's all I wanted. So, Yeah, yeah, the fact that Crackdown's coming out at all it, it is just a positive because there were so many doubts about that game. It's a miracle. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that that was that was heading the way Final Fantasy VII Remake, that wasn't it? But, um, Carl, I think it's time to cover the topic that we're here for. I, I agree. You know, it's, it's 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 been it's been. I've been waiting a week to do this topic. I know, and I still haven't finished the fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! But uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Red Dead Redemption Two review. Um, we're probably going to hammer this out in a, in about well, 
fuck it, just see how long it goes for. But if you if you were here just for the news, please do turn off. I don't want to spoil this game for you. Um, if you've not he- if you've not uh, listened to us by now, in terms of warnings, you fucked up. <laughs> but but Carl, let's get into this then, shall we? And I think there's only one place to start. Obviously, we've already mentioned him in in the uh, game of the year awards and stuff like that. But let's get let's get into the character. The character of Arthur Morgan. We obviously speculated on the preview that he was going to be a blank lump of clay. He he was just the opposite of that, wasn't he? Exactly. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I would have been against him being a blank lump of clay, and maybe even saying that that's the way we 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 did kind of make it out. But it, we were probably being a little extreme. But I kind of expected kind of a Commander Shepard type of character, mm. almost like you know you could kind of, especially because we knew there was kind of an honor system. So we thought maybe you kind of mold him somewhat, but he's somewhat shallow, and it's more about how he interacts with the people around him. Because with it being a gang, it made sense, similar to in Mass Effect. With it with a crew, but you you do get those interactions with the gang. But Arthur is a very complex character, and and you know he he's definitely at the end of the day, I have to say, one of my favorite characters. I mean, he he really personifies that that classic kind of Western hero, or in this case, anti-hero. Um, but while also having some some kind of you know, he's also like a, he's a very liberal, you know, he's, there's a lot of modern in, modern kind of-ness to his character, mm. considering this this game is set over a hundred years ago. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of layers to, to, to Arthur Morgan and, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to touch on some of them, but I mean, he, he surprised me that the complexity of the character kind of kind of surprised me. It wasn't at all what I expected when we pre- previewed the game. Yeah, and I think that I, I, you make a good point there. And I think whilst we're on the topic, obviously, it brings up a lot of strong topics in terms of racism, sexism. Um, I mean, the KKK is kind of shown as a comedy act in this, with the with the uh, few instances I've I've seen them obviously killing themselves. Pretty much, you do get honor points for murdering them. So there's a tip for you people. Uh, if you see people in a white hood, feel you throw a Molotov at them. It's beautiful. But it, I think we've seen this in Rockstar again before. They like they, they they do tackle big topics. But as you said, he is he is quite. Uh, a man ahead of his time, so to speak. Obviously, he's mate. He's good mates with Charles, or you kind of grow into a, a more of a friendship with. Who's obviously Native American, which is probably the big, big race to bit. Um, or it, it highlights that issue as the game goes on, especially in the last chapter. Native Americans become stronger in it, and um, yeah, obviously friends with Lenny as well. But yeah, it, it, it does. It does. It does tackle quite a lot of big issues. But in, in terms of Arthur, then. Obviously, he starts off as strong-jawed, bit of a dick um, character that you'd expect, kind of, in a gang. Um, but I'm not sure if it was just mine, because I, I played complete white hat um, cowboy. Full full positive honour and all, all that jazz. But he, he does seem to grow into a proper humble character, obviously. Uh, I'm not sure if it, it's meant to be just your singular experience in the game, but for me, he, just turned, he turned into... Uh, When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost a, almost a hero of the story, and I don't think that's what the purpose of the game was. I think Arthur's meant to be just a character in this world, and then shit just happens around him but he, for me the way i played it, he definitely turned into a hero of the story the way i helped the native american stuff what what was your experience was that did you play arthur as a proper hero or did you try and do it balanced or what yeah no a, a very very similar experience I, I think like i was kind of going white hat from from the offset and i, I think like a lot of people kind of um had issue with it, who who tried to do that had issue kind of with the start of the game because they felt like the story was was almost at odds with that I, I know like uh, famously Greg Miller obviously when he reviewed the game on on um, Red Dead Radio with with uh, Jared Petty he kind of said he jumped off the game after twenty hours and that like he just didn't like Arthur Morgan and he thought like he was trying to be a good guy but then on missions you know you're being forced to punch like old men in the face and mm -hmm. and you know and, and i did find that odd you know that that while i'm out in the open world i'm I'm saving damsels in distress and giving money to blind guys but then on trains i'm punching old men in the face you know that did seem a little iffy um and i, I think it is a little strange at first but i i think that's that's for a reason because at at the start, we're almost tricked into thinking that Arthur is just this, as you said, hard-jawed kind of bandit, you know, that, that uh, he's loyal to his gang. And he seems to have some level of morals, obviously, we see quite early on when, you know, the the, um, the O'Driscolls kind of, uh, you know, have murdered Sadie's husband and uh, seem to be kind of having their way with her that, you know, Dutch and Arthur don't agree with that and... And, you know, they think of the Adriscals as animals, so they definitely have morals to a degree, but nonetheless, they are criminals. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of, that's the way Arthur's set up. But we see as the, the, the game goes on that Arthur has a conscience and he kind of, that grows more and more as the game goes on. And we, and we see kind of his, not saying he was, didn't have a, it to begin with, but he certainly becomes more of, you know, kind of, 
he starts to question what he does and you know how how what he's done with his life as as the the game goes on and and I think as the game says a redemption we see the redemption of Arthur Morgan that's what the story is is certainly about at least the way I played it and I think like some people might spoilers when Arthur gets sick and gets a terminal illness that it's just oh well he becomes good because he has regret but I think Arthur you know was shown regret at least to me long before he found out that he that he had TB I mean what do you think, guys? Is it simply he was a, a dying man with, with regrets, or or um, was that just another part of his arc? I think that I think that's obviously a big part of the game where he gets TB. But I I do agree with you where he's he's not questioning Dutch at that stage because that's obviously a big part of the end game as well. But he's definitely questioning. Um, I think he's definitely questioning Micah, who's obviously the prick of the story with Dutch, um, but Mike is the biggest prick. Um, and I think, I think him and Mike who kind of got, obviously you've kind of got John and Sadie and Charles on one side. And then you've got Micah as the main one. And then you've obviously got, um, Bill and Javier on there, but Mike is definitely the, de- the demon uh, on one shoulder. Whereas, Maybe if you played as a bit of a twat, he, you might become closer with Micah or something like that, um, instead of getting closer with Charles and Sadie. So that, that might be interesting to see. But yeah, I think he definitely grows a conscience, and obviously it's our input that develops that um, that way. So it might be interesting to see on a second playthrough, or even just watch it on YouTube, how, how the game develops. If you play as a prick, um, maybe you get closer with, with your... your uh, your micers and your bills and stuff like that. But yeah, I think I think he was definitely he definitely had a conscious beforehand. I know I know there's a couple of story missions like where it says <laughs> I think they try and portray him as a Robin Hood type character and then he ends up just like robbing everyone <laughs> for shits and giggles. But there I think there is definitely a conscious and I think you mentioned it at the start. Obviously we'll talk about Dutch in a sec because he's he's the sec I I I'd say he's the second most important character, but <sighs> It, 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 I think the deterioration of Dutch, it kind of, I think Arthur kind of stays at the same, whereas Dutch turns into a more desperate man. And I think Arthur kind of stays the same with our little tweaks, whereas uh, you can either make him a prick or you can make him a good guy. And we made, we both made him a good guy. But I still think overall he stays at a similar level from start to finish with, with our tweak. Obviously towards the end when you're pretty much a zombie, <laughs> you, can, you can start giving grieving widows uh, you can like fuck off the debts and stuff like that, can't you? Um, but um, yeah, I think Dutch is the one who deteriorates quicker, whereas Arthur's still not a white knight, but I think he's kind of like a, a neutral person in this. Uh, with and then you've obviously put in our impact. So yeah, I think I think Arthur's always had some sort of morals. Uh, but yeah, I think it it's so hard to explain. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's definitely. A, pl- a character that has his own inner demons and questions certain things, but um, I I had Dutch down next on the list. But what what, what did you make of Micah? Because I, I I did put supporting cast, but the way I've just explained it there, I've kind of portrayed him as more of an important character than I possibly thought. But putting the agenda together in all the thirty seconds, but how, what do you think of Micah's role in the game and how he kind of corrupts the gang, so to speak? 
I think when we first meet Michael, you know, out trodden out in the snow, obviously he's with you and, and Dutch when you, you go to, to Sadie's uh, homestead. Um, and I think we, we don't really get much of an impression of him at, at that point. And I thought, like, oh, this guy's just clearly a very minor character. Maybe he'll die early on or something. But then our second experience of him, obviously, when we have to go rescue him from the 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 jail in Strawberry mm. and he shoots up an entire town killing men, women, you know, and and getting himself and Arthur in a lot of trouble. And then from that moment, I, I had a great dislike of him and every kind of interaction with him, you know, he's he's such a dick. And, you know, I, I think we, we've all kind of had like, probably, especially when we were growing up in our teens, like lads can relate. Most lads probably had a mate like Micah that like kind of was all like, say kind of kind of slag you and and make insult you and that kind of thing and they'd be like oh i'm only messing with you man. i'm only messing. And i think like mike is kind of cowardly in that way because he knows like arthur morgan honestly would kick his ass like especially well when he was well at least he would have destroyed him in a fight because well he's a much bigger man mike, started, is, mike but... is just a chubby fucking angry bloke isn't he <laughs> yeah little little kind of um crazy guy like it's just He's just, I think there's, there's probably, you know, some, some screws loose at Micah. I think, you know, he's, he's sadistic in the, in the way he just kills without, without remorse. And I think he's, he's, there's a lot of selfishness to his character. And I think he just embodies everything that's going to make you hate him, to be honest. And I think that's obviously purposeful. They, they want you to hate this character from, from the word go. And, and, they they accomplished that, you know. Or what did you think of Micah? Yeah, I fully agree with you. I mean, at first he just seemed like a, one of the one of the background characters, but he he certainly develops into a a major player quite probably from chapter five onwards. Um, he just seems to he's he's definitely the devil in the story because he obviously he corrupts um, Dutch, who I, I imagine you'd agree with. This. From the first, the first four chapters, three chapters, Dutch seems really sound and such an interesting character, and he is very interesting throughout. But Mike just seems that he just puts his claws in and turns Dutch into a horrible cunt, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, sorry, you. Go. I, I I agree. Yeah, no, I definitely do agree. I mean, I, I think as I, I said, like Mike is sadistic and he's he's selfish, and I think. But the the other trait I'd kind of associate with with uh, Micah is ambition. He's definitely a very ambitious character and I think Dutch is obviously very ambitious and I think that's obviously why Dutch kind of seems to take an interest in Micah and attach himself to him and I think as you said, Micah kind of takes full advantage of that and he, he slowly corrupts Dutch and takes advantage of his ambition and his desperation, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's strange how Micah... I think you just see it in the camp, don't you? Obviously, the first few he's not really there and then once you get up to i think it's beaver's hollow the last one um before the epilogue and stuff he's obviously sat outside in dutch's tent at all times kind of as like a a security guard um it, it, it just he's just a, he's a character of great importance and I I I agree. I thought he may be one who died straight. Maybe died straight away because I think some people may thought, oh, he's just a mad bloke that you might. Some people might like, but obviously he develops into such a prick. Um, but yeah, he developed into such an important character. But um, possibly, 
this character, in terms of Dutch, he might be more important to the story than Arthur. Because obviously everything the, the gang does, apart from um, the Native American stuff at the end, where, where you're helping Reigns fall, Dutch is involved in. And what, what are your overall thoughts on Dutch? Because obviously we know he's, a, he's the probably secondary enemy in, in RDR1, apart from the government. But what, what what did you make of Dutch's? Not it's pretty much not an origin story of him, but it, it give him a backstory that we didn't get from RDR one. Yeah, no, I think Dutch is as you say, he's, he's almost like the co antagonist of Red Dead Redemption one, alongside with the 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 agent obviously that betrays John Marston. Spoilers if you haven't played Red Dead one, um, <laughs> and he's probably the co of. Probably three primary antagonists in um, Red Dead Two, with along with Micah and with Agent Milton, um, and I think you know, as you say, we we kind of see him kind of develop from early on. He's this this uh, father figure almost of the gang, and you know, although you know he's the head of a gang of criminals, at the same time he's he's got some interesting kind of philosophies and he's kind of you know anti-government and you know and and like i'm sure there's people today you know that that are anti-government that they could probably relate to a lot of dutch's philosophies you know so i mean he's interesting in that sense that as i said earlier with arthur like there's some modern kind of features to, to arthur's character and i think there is to dutch's as well um so i think as you say you kind of like him at first and it's it's hard to I almost forgot that, oh, I already know what happens with this guy because I played Red Dead 1 and, you know, you, you kind of like him. But but as as time goes on, as we say, it's just it's just like Micah is that little demon on one shoulder and, you know, Hosea and, mm. and Arthur. Are the, the And I think that's that's a key thing. I, I mean, maybe Hosea probably won't get as much of a, a talk as, as some of the other characters, but I think Hosea was kind of the, the counterweight to Micah. And when Hosea dies, that's kind of when there's no coming back for Dutch. Yeah, yeah he, he also takes that back. I think it's when you rob the um, trolley station, or whatever it's called, in San Denis, and obviously you get the twat on the head. And from that point onwards, he seems to almost snap into craziness. And that's obviously not... Um, that's not long before the bank job where Jose obviously dies. Um, but maybe we'll come on to that later on with a couple of our favourite missions and stuff like that. But Jose obviously dies in the moment where John gets arrested. And then obviously Dutch and possibly feud by Micah gets accused of treason and stuff like that. Where obviously maybe they think John's talked to the police and stuff like that. That's why he's got arrested. Um, Abigail gets away, obviously. <clears throat> but... I think that's a good point with Jose. I haven't really thought about that. That he may be the angel on angel on the shoulder, and he obviously dies in chapter four. Yeah, chapter four, and then there's still pretty much two two and a half two chapters and, a, and an epilogue there for that. And yeah, it's, it's just it's such a quick deterioration. But obviously, he takes a, a twat on the head. Do do you think it may be that? vulnerability that he kind of felt in that moment that made him more desperate because that's what it seems to be obviously you go on to try and rob the army for fuck's sake but do you think the desperation in him is more overwhelming than the devil on his shoulder yeah 
I just think it's it's a it's a it's kind of a build up of, of failures. I mean, he, he was so convinced they were going to get the the gold from the uh, the the um, the two gold. families right. in, in oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. D- down in Lemoyne, and and that kind of fell through. And then obviously, once we got to, to Saint Denis, he thought that he had um, Angelo Bronte kind of in his back pocket but it turned out Angelo Bronte had been kind of playing him and I, I think it all just built up and I think Dutch was just waiting for that one big payoff and it just kept falling away from him and I think it just it just broke him and then couple that with the the loss of Jose around the same time you know his his best friend and his his longest term partner uh, you know and and as we said that that kind of reasoning voice in his ear i think it all just these factors combined to, to break the man and that's why he becomes just this desperate you know man who's ex- becomes extremely violent i mean obviously we see that when he, he kills angelo bronte and feeds him to the to the crocodile that's kind of the first sign i think that's the first also reaction we get from arthur where he's kind of like whoa maybe dutch is losing it and that's actually pre arthur getting his tv so mm. i mean we, we do see i think that's the point i think as you said in chapter four that's that's when we see kind of dutch break and then i think that's obviously when it's so much easier for for micah to, to kind of corrupt them basically you know um i think that that's the the key point for me and because uh, I, I think and, and i think that's that's the loss of jose is important for arthur as well because Hosea and even Hosea jokes about it almost that like you know people kind of him and Dutch with like a young Arthur as if they were like almost like a gay couple you know with a, a son mm-hmm. and, um, like I think while Dutch kind of in a way probably is responsible for Arthur's ambition and stuff that we see kind of in the towards the start of the game I think Hosea kind of although being a criminal and a con artist he's he's definitely got a conscience and I think he was an important kind of in in raising Arthur with 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 a conscience as well. I, I think he's an important I mean we, we talked a lot in our reviews of father figures and Spider Man and God of War and that and I think again we have to talk about we could we could touch on the fact that Dutch and, and Jose are kind of father figures to 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 um Arthur and to John as well. Um and I think they're important in those characters developments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But in terms of the rest of the supporting cast or the rest of the gang, should I say, is there any one or any few that stood out for you? Obviously, I've mentioned a couple in terms of like Lenny and stuff, but is there any that had a an impact on you throughout your game? I know we haven't really mentioned well, John, but it, I, I he's think, got a whole I game. Think, <laughs> yeah, I think the one's worth mentioning, of course, John, certainly. I mean, John, because... You know, I liked John in, in Red Dead Redemption 1, but the reality is we didn't know that much about him. We didn't know that much about his past. And here we get his past and, and we see how, like, he's this, you know, John's a bit stupid, you know, as, as many of the characters point mm. out. He's not the brightest guy. He, he kind of abandoned his family at one point. I, I don't think he quite knows how to express his feelings. And, and of course, as the epilogue goes on, we, we kind of see him starting to, to come to terms with that and ultimately he proposes to Abigail. But... I think I think it's important that we get to see John's development. And as I said previously, I think Dutch and Jose were kind of like father figures to, to Arthur and John. I think similarly, Arthur is a big brother figure to John. 
And I think at the start, we're going to get the impression that John, that Arthur doesn't like John. And that's yeah. kind of a lot of characters kind of touch on that. But then really Arthur loves John and it's, he's frustrated and he wants John to do better. He wants John to do better by Abigail and Jack. And that's why he's so harsh on him. And I think ultimately uh, John realizes that. And I think that's why you, you can tell, obviously, how much Arthur means to him, you know, kind of towards the end and also post game, you know, as he says, he, he saved his life on, on more than one occasion. So it, it's interesting to see that development of John and how John becomes the character that we meet in, in Red Dead Redemption 1. I mean, did, did, were you kind of, did you find it interesting to kind of get more of a backstory on John? And Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, I didn't. I don't think they wanted him dominating, especially on the early parts of the game. Because if they just wanted to, if they wanted to just absolutely hammer you with John Marston backstory, they might as well have just just might as well made him the antagonist again. But I think they balanced it really well in terms of giving everyone balance. Because as you said, Arthur doesn't hate John at the start. He just he feels he seems to feel a bit betrayed by him and obviously a bit standoffish and you kind of treat him a bit like a dick in the early parts. And obviously that develops throughout the game towards the end. It's back, it's back to happy families and you're the sole reason that I think Arthur's hanging on in terms of John. <clears throat> but yeah, they do, they do fill in the blanks, especially with the relationship with Abigail and um, Jack, who's obviously had a fucking weird upbringing. <laughs> um... But yeah, I think I think they do I think they do John perfectly in this one because obviously everyone loves RDR one, and I think that was possibly one of the criticisms of RDR one. They didn't really fill in the backstory of Dutch. They didn't really do it with John too well. But in this one, they show it off perfectly that he is he, he's a he's obviously a a gangster with kind of a conscience because obviously he's re- at the start of the game they obviously explain that he's he's already run off before with with uh, to try and get away from it obviously comes back um and you can kind of see that throughout and obviously he uh, towards the end he just wants the best for his for his family especially once you break him out of prison and um jack obviously gets kidnapped by the braithwaite and sold on to bronte so from that point onwards i think john and arthur kind of turned things around so yeah i think they did john perfectly but in terms of other characters that had a, a powerful impact on the game i think it'd be safe to say like you say you say the adlers and stuff like that but i think the proper minor characters for me so you short you sean mcguire who obviously dies in chapter three and um uh, you lenny who's, who's obviously got one of the best missions of the game where you go get pissed with him i, I, I quite like the smaller characters who's not too much involved, but their deaths have a quite a big impact in the game. I, I quite like that. Yeah, I mean, as as you said, the, the I think the, the other characters kind of of, of note obviously are, are Charles and and Sadie, who are almost like um, Arthur's kind of best friends in in the gang per se. You know, I found Sadie quite interesting um, because. You know, obviously, when you rescue her earlier on, she doesn't really say much for the first couple of chapters. She's obviously in mourning over her husband and that. But I kind of had like a, a weird kind of intrigue in Sadie. And I'd always, when I'd go to camp, talk to her on the off chance, she'd actually say something to me. And I, I was like, something's going to happen with this character. I just had a feeling. And, and suddenly she becomes this, this badass. And, you know, uh, she, as I said, I, I wondered, you know, maybe at Arthur not got nailed, maybe 
him and Sadie might have ended up together, you know, because obviously it was never going to work with Mary um, because they, they just wanted different things. But, you know, Sadie was definitely quite an intriguing character and she was a very strong female character, which I'm sure a lot of people appreciated. Um, and obviously she plays a big part in the epilogue and, and kind of she's this badass bounty hunter and she she kind of takes John along on missions and you know it's it's great to see kind of her her development as as the story goes on. Uh, Charles similarly we see he he's probably one of the first people to to kind of show a conscience and he almost from the start he's not a hundred percent agreed with with how the gang go about mm. things and you see obviously as once the Indians as you say come involved he plays a big part in that being half Indian himself and he wants to help the tribe and he leaves for a while to to go help the tribe um you know and it, it's 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 very interesting to see those two characters and I, I was glad you know those two characters Sadie and Charles seem to get a happy ending I mean Charles supposedly goes off to Canada and Sadie goes off to South America and we'd like to think they they got their their time in the sunset you know because they you know Arthur certainly didn't and neither does John as we know so at least if two of the four did it's it's not too bad but uh you know they're they obviously two kind of larger than than the rest of the gang members but the, the rest of the gang members as you say it, it, it is quite interesting that like you know although they play a much smaller part you know it, it, they are nonetheless important i mean we, we see some interesting things as you said lenny brilliant mission where you get drunk it's, that was just it was gas it was lenny. well so well done lenny. but like with lenny <laughs> Yeah, we see a lot of uh, kind of with Lenny, as you you touched on earlier. Like we get to lot, see a lot of racism. There's, there's, you know, a lot of people make comments, and Lenny himself talks about like people's reactions, especially when you go down south. And like we we see Arthur having to kind of defend him and kind of criticize people for being racist at points. And I, I think that that's important to see. And you know, we have like. Um, Reverend Swanson, who's obviously an alcoholic, but gets over his alcoholism t- towards the end. Uh, we have like Leopold Strauss, the sly kind of Austrian debt collector. And did you did you I, send him packing? Yeah, I sent him packing, and then I kind of felt guilty about it because uh, in the epilogue you learn mm. that Strauss was picked up by the uh, the Pinkertons. And refused to talk and ultimately died in poor conditions, you know, in imprisoned. And I felt kind of guilty about tearing him out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's weird how there was no middle ground in that. Obviously, I think that's on the back of where he's kind of pushed over the edge because I think possibly he blames Strauss for giving him TV because obviously you get it off that. I can't remember his name. Is it Downs? I can't remember his first name. Yeah, Mr. Downs. Mr. Downs. You obviously get it off. Beating him, even though I only clicked threaten, you fucking knobhead. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's um, possibly that's just boiling point when you see the impact that Strauss has had on him. But it was kind of weird how you had a, no, you either had an option of take money off a widow or you kind of toss Strauss out of camp into the wilderness. <laughs> so it was kind of no middle ground there. But I suppose yeah. that's how, how you played the game as a full white hat. White hat. That's what probably what the morally right thing to do was. But... um. In terms of the characters, I I said this before we started recording. I completely forgot Javier was in RDR one, <laughs> and um, 
and you obviously we've obviously mentioned Bill as well, who obviously we know was yeah. in, in the first one as well. They they didn't really have that many strong moments in it. And as you said, Javier was kind of sound throughout, and then he turns out to be on the dickhead side towards the end. But do you, do you think that was done on purpose because they know they're in RDR one, and obviously they're villains? Do you think they just kind of kind of left them to their own devices? Do you think? Um, I don't know. It's it's difficult to say. I think certainly Javier, like you know, he's just he's kind of a guy. He's he's, he's sound, but he probably of the younger, let's say, male members of the gang, like the, the ones who actually go out on missions. He's probably the one you have the least interaction with. Like I think you bond kind of more with with Lenny and with like I think Lenny and Sean kind of almost seem like younger brothers to mm. to uh, to Arthur and and. Um, somewhat and, and uh, obviously John kind of as the game develops he come closer to him again and uh, Charles and, and Sadie obviously was a woman but nonetheless kind of she, she kind of goes on missions and things but I, I think the one you probably reacted interacted the least with probably was Javier but nonetheless he did seem kind of friendly and, and Arthur seemed to get on well with him and it was only kind of right at the end that, that he sided with um, with Torch and which and and Micah, which kind of surprised me, but I just said like, but then you remember obviously Red Dead One, so it makes sense. Obviously he, you kill him in Red Dead One. He's not a very he's not that nice a guy in Red Dead One. So I suppose it made sense, but it, it still kind of surprised me by how tight he was. But I think whereas with Bill, you know. Bill was interested. I thought at first kind of felt sorry for Bill somewhat because he seemed to be kind of bullied by the rest of the gang and obviously he messes up when the his dynamite is adored on the train robbery and he, he gets a lot of grief over that. But as he goes on, he's just he's just an asshole. You know, you, you see him being like a dick to Sadie and being a dick to other people and, you know, he, he gets very pally with Mike. I think he's probably the person who's closest to Mike in the gang except for Dutch and it's no surprise really when he sides with Micah. Um, but I thought it was good, even though, as I said, Javier didn't get that much development. Nonetheless, because they side with Micah and Dutch at the end, it gives you that reasoning that when you're looking back on Red Dead 1, because when you look on Red Dead 1, you're like, I killed them, but I didn't really know why I was killing them. It was more so because I was just being told to kill them. But now it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're dead, especially Bill. You know, I'm glad I killed Bill in Red Dead 1 all those years ago, you know. So I'm, I'm glad we, we got that development for them. Um, but but it, it is, as you said, that the, the lesser characters, there's, you know, kind of they, they may not play that large a part in, in Arthur's life. But I think, you know, they definitely there is some interest in them. And, and if you take the time to walk around the camp and talk to people, especially the women, Arthur has a lot of heart to hearts with like Mary Beth and Tilly. Mm. Um, and I think it, it is interesting to see. Karen was a weird one. I mean, she has very little involvement. And then we see right at the end, she seems to like break down and just be locked the entire chapter six. She's just locked. Like she seems to just, while, while as we said, Reverend Swanson moves away from alcoholism, Karen seems to become an alcoholic. And maybe that's a, a tragedy of the, the rough life with yeah. the, the gang. Cause at a time the women and from right they all kind of debate about leaving the gang and sometimes you walk in on them having arguments with each other and and, and the like yeah it's a weird one about karen because obviously she plays a big role in the valentine bank job as well and then from that point onwards she just kind of delves into darkness kind of thing doesn't she so it's a very weird thing and yeah. um 
I mean, we've pretty much gone through everyone now. I, I kind of felt I felt sorry for Kieran, who obviously just got beheaded by the audience. Yeah. Um, I thought he yeah, might. Yeah, have... no, he had a bit of a sad yeah. face. He was, thought... a, he was kind of a loner, and he was good with horses, and he was he was a kind of his a character in on his own. Yeah, yeah I felt sorry for him. I felt sorry for him a bit, but um, I think we've done enough of the characters because we are like an hour and fifteen minutes in now. <laughs> We'll finish up part one there. Part two will cover uh, the rest of the review for Red Dead Redemption 2, so do check that out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 